Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Awabakal people on whose unceded lands we are on today and to extend my respect to elders past and present. Today's guest, Elisa Bryce, is a soil scientist with a BSc in agriculture from the University of Sydney and a master's from the University of Cambridge. She likes, this is from your bio, <laughs> she likes patting dogs, digging holes, analyzing soil, playing with soil, and writing about soil, which is pretty obvious from uh, Elisa's 2022 book, Grounded, a book which really um, explores just how cool and important uh, soil is. And I think we're all really coming to grips with just how important soil is. Um, but, but really, I think, uh, Lisa, your book is also very much about how fun and cool soil is, uh, which is a, a great, I guess, a, a great flip side to uh, its importance. Um, so welcome. Well, thank you for having me. So can I just get you, before we begin chatting, uh, to open the show with a reading from Grounded? I think people who haven't read it before will be surprised at just uh, how, how fun and engaging it is. Okay, wonderful. So I've chosen a section from the memory chapter because one thing I discuss is that yeah, soil has a memory that we might not realise. Unprecedented is a popular word these days, but nothing is unprecedented if you read some history. The second wave of a pandemic, economic crises, revolutions, they all come around regularly enough. Look back further into geological history and you'll see the full spectrum of catastrophe. Ice ages, heat waves, mass volcanic eruptions, oxygen levels that rise to the point where forests spontaneously combust, then plummet to the point where almost everything dies out. Rocks weathering into soil and soil becoming rocks once more. The earth has seen it all before. As the world changes, the soil records. Rainfall, gases, temperatures, and evidence of what living things were shuffling in or on the soil. Just like archaeologists use objects to reconstruct past civilizations, scientists can use very old soil to glimpse into the distant past ecosystems and climates. To 16 million years ago, when Australia's inland desert was a woodland, or 90 million years ago, when Antarctica may have been a rainforest. In Western Australia, high in the Pilbara, lies one of the oldest soils on Earth, now fossilised formed about 3.5 billion years ago. Back then, the world was a drab, rocky place, the air a fog of carbon dioxide and methane. There wasn't anything big, except maybe geologically. No trees or animals. Even if you invented a time travel machine, you couldn't go back without your spacesuit. There was almost no oxygen in the atmosphere, which is why the iron-rich soil is green. When you expose iron to oxygen, it rusts, turning a range of reddish hues, like the bright red-banded iron formations in other areas of the Pilbara. This green soil came to be at the beginning of the boring billion, the billion or so years when the atmosphere was largely devoid of oxygen. There simply wasn't enough oxygen in the atmosphere for the iron to rust. I love it. I, I'm fascinated. I've already read that and I'm, I'm fascinated. And I now want to go back and, and reread. I think your love of soil and your desire to communicate its many facets and relevance to all aspects of our life, really even you know, we'll talk about this some more in a bit, but that interconnectedness, um, how much we are of the soil and, you know, how ultimately that's our state, right? Um, that comes through so clearly in your writing. And just talk to me a little bit about your love and where it all began. Well, I didn't know I was going to become a soil scientist. It wasn't something I considered or, or planned, but when I had to choose my university degree, I chose agriculture. And honestly, I hated first year general science, but 
second year they had soil subjects and it truly was a light bulb moment of just sheer fascination and from then my interest in soil only grew so I majored in soil science did honors in soil science and then actually ended up working in urban soil science so even though I studied agriculture I took the principles from how to manage soil to improve plant growth and worked out how to green our cities with green roofs and green walls and parks and gardens and trying to get green space into our cities. But a few years ago, I did notice that soil had, it's almost like it needed a, a, some rebranding. It's important. It's ubiquitous. It's there, but it's presented in a very negative way often. And I thought that's, that's not how I see it. I see mystery and intrigue and beauty and romance and everything that I cover in Grounded. And that's why I wrote Grounded was to show people who are interested that soil is not just about erosion or degradation. It's it's source of medicine and face masks and there's quicksand and you can solve crimes and it's where death and life meet. It's a lot more complex than we give it credit for. And it's certainly not all brown. Range of beautiful colors. So that's what I've been trying to do. Yes. And and you really, you do it quite well. I, I almost felt like, you know, you probably could have another 10 chapters. Um, were there lots of things you had to filter to, to decide what to include and what not to? Yes. And 10 is a good number because there were about 10 chapters that I did leave out. Uh, so I thought maybe I could do Grounded Book 2. But how I decided was the tone of this book is I'm trying to be lighthearted and engaging to give people something, an enjoyable read. But other chapters, there's art naturally soil and art the first pigments were made from soil faith there's a really strong connection between soil and faith danger I thought would be a fun one um, <laughs> earthquakes and things um, and I think yeah there were a few others but yes their soil is is everywhere and it's so ingrained for want of a better word in our lives that I hope honestly that other people take this book have some ideas and try to write some more yeah, I mean, I guess there were so many different ways you could come at it, right? I mean, you definitely took a, I guess, a fun, lighthearted approach. I mean, there's also the dark approach, uh, you know, about, you know, I have heard recently that, the, you know, our soil is, is sick, this virus um, that's spreading, um, you know, there's obviously climate change and the impacts of that. So that there is a, you know, I guess a very, um, a negative approach that could be taken to say, you know, we, guys, we really need to, you know, to, to begin working on this and, and really pulling together, whether you're working in soil science or whether you're not, right? There's a role for everyone. Absolutely agree. And I do agree that we very much need to pay more attention to soil and work on it. And it, degradation is an issue. And I guess I was hoping that maybe I could attract some bright, interested minds by luring, luring them in with excitement and intrigue. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much I love, like the wine chapter and the, the you know, the, the solving crime chapter that you really, you know, you just don't know it's coming. It's really so um, different to any other approach. But I, I also feel like, you know, there's been a lot of research lately about the microbiome and it's, you know, it's a very hot topic um, in different science fields. But, you know, do you feel like as time goes on, and maybe this is a change from when you started, we're really starting to appreciate how interconnected everything is, um, the sciences, but also, you know, soil and human health, for example? Yes, absolutely. And when I started studying soil science, it was what, 15 years ago now, 16? 
biology wasn't really even covered at all. And now I work with farmers uh, sometimes and it's like, we want to know about soil biology. So it's gone from being not really covered to being mainstream conversation. There's a lot of more money and research going into it. It's a very exciting field um, because there's so much we don't know. We probably know about one to 2% of what's going on. So there's 98% of potential. And I mean, yes, human health. One thing um, that I found fascinating while research is that young children who are exposed to nature and play in soil and humans are nature grow up to have a much better immune system later on in life. It's the old friends hypothesis. And there's a really great long-term study between, I think it was Russia and, and Finland, and then children who stayed in a more agrarian lifestyle basically didn't have atopic dermatitis. They didn't have allergies, whereas the ones who were more removed from nature and the soil did. And then there's all, more research now about how the soil even influences your gut micro, microbiome. So it can make you more basically healthier gut the more exposure you have. Now, that's not saying that you need to eat soil for that to happen, but it's just being around soil improves your physical well-being. And, and presumably the way plants take it up as well. So, you know, the food that we eat or the animals or the food that we eat um, and, mm. and the soil that they are engaged in, you know, no matter how far removed you are, you're, you're you know, you're only one or two steps away, right? Well, ex exactly. I um used to help researchers develop presentations. And one thing I said was that even if you lived in the tallest tower in the world and you stayed in your apartment and you never, ever, ever went down to ground level, you are still completely and utterly dependent on the soil. Mm -hmm. Your medicines probably were derived from there. Your food is going to come from there. Your building is built on it. Uh, you, there is no escaping your complete utter dependence. Soil is like, it's like air and water and plants. It's a pillar of life. Mm. It's yes. just not as pretty. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it is as, maybe it is as pretty <laughs> when you think about all those colors and uh, and textures and you know the glittery and the, the you, you know mm. the, the different um, tones and, you know I guess the longer you look at anything the more beautiful it becomes right true yeah yes and yet you know with all of that um, you've said in I think you said in grounded that we've only mapped something like ten percent of the underground world um, which is really amazing. Um, 2%. 2%, sorry, 2% of the <laughs> underground world, which is incredible, right? Like we're going, you know, and I'm, I love, this, you know, astronomy, but we're going off into space. We, we really, our technologies are getting pretty advanced here. And yet 2% of the underground world has been mapped. Um, why do you think that is? Honestly, it was technology. We didn't have the tech for a long time and now we do. Mm -hmm. um, something about soil microbes is they're, they're quite picky or finicky so some you can grow in regular agar or different types of agar others they just don't want to grow in a petri dish so it's hard to find them but companies are developing ways um i forget what they're called but they've developed a device to basically put it in the soil to make a buffet for soil microbes and so they think that they're still at home and they're happy but they can grow within this let's call it a tube in the ground and they can identify new microbes that way so mm -hmm. one of the challenges was convincing what's down there to grow in our labs when they don't want to mm -hmm. um, and then it's just sheer time and funding you know there was one example they uh, some research collected a sample from the amazon and in that sample there was i think was it 40 type of fungi they'd just never seen before 
So we're starting from that level. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we I, I, don't I even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> this, the, even, I mean, I guess it's, you know, for you, just maybe setting the boundaries of what you're going to focus on and what you're not, because there's so much that's interesting, right? So many other sciences. But I think about, for example, mycology, which is getting, you know, this, this study of, of uh, fungi, which is getting really, really big, right? I mean, you know, um, the sheldrakes, for example, are rock stars now. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it's just the name, but the, you know this this whole notion of of this you know incredible network of which we are mm. you know it's beneath our feet, but it's also part of us. Um, we will go back to it again. Um, we'll come back to death. I know you don't want to talk about death, but we'll come back to death because it's such a good oh, chapter, no, it's such a rich, comforting chapter. I find bizarrely comforting in the book. Um, mm. My husband always laughs and says, "Will you stop telling me you want to be buried in a, a mushroom bag because it's really disturbing." <laughs> But I love the idea of, you know, of being part of a kind of living network. It, it almost makes death less scary to me. Look, honestly, I really enjoyed the death chapter. I know it's not a topic that everybody likes to engage with. And I've had a few people email me telling me how happy they were that I spoke about it candidly because they wanted to talk about it, but it's a bit taboo. But yes, like soil is where death becomes life. It yes. is, I describe it as a portal or a nexus and biological reincarnation happens. We are from nature. We are made of the same, basically the same elements as a carrot or corn silage or a whale. And when you die, your elements, if you're in being buried um, in contact with the soil, you will become the earth once more. You go from living to non-living. And then because of how nature works, those elements will become something else, a flower, a tree, um, whatever happens to take up what you once were. And then when they die, they get recycled as well. And it's just a constant process of elements cycling around the world. It is quite beautiful, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, you know, in the wine chapter, one of the lines, there's so many lines I love in this book, but one of the lines I really loved is the scientist in me would love to identify every flavor, flavor compound and know what conditions encourage them then play around trying to manipulate flavors and the writer in me enjoys the romance of the unknown. So I, I feel like, you know, and we, we, we talked about this a little bit um, already, um, this idea of, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of the work hasn't been done in the space is because there wasn't funding. And maybe one of the reasons there wasn't funding was just simply because we didn't have writers who were making this something other than academic, you know, that were actually um, stimulating the public's imagination, which maybe is a, you know, a portal to stimulating funding. I'm, I'm not sure what they, the subtle complex relationships it are between, you know, making something hot and getting funding for it or beginning to explore and, and save it and protect it. But there is clearly a conjunction there. So, you know, I just, I, I want to talk a little bit about, I know you said you're very literal, but there's so much in the book that is really um, just recontextualizing um, almost like something that's been there all along, something that's very low tech, you know, that's e almost every day, you know, I, I can go out in the garden right now and, and put my hands in the earth. It's there, it's right there. Um, and yet to, to make it so richly evocative to your average kind of busy person who's doing all the stuff that we have to do every day, um, that's a, a writer's talent, that's a poet's talent. So just talk to me about that little conjunction between the writer and, and, and the scientist and the way in which those, you know, two things work together. Okay, well, I guess I am naturally creative. I always have been. And I, well, I am highly literal and I love to unravel and see how things work. Um, I enjoy 
mystery and beauty. And I tried to bring something that's difficult to imagine to life. I guess that that's why I did it, because I know that if you haven't dug thousands of holes like I have, it would just be this brown substance beneath your feet. And it's hard to imagine as well. If I said, let's imagine a panda, most people can. But if I said, imagine uh, not uh, a soil that's not compacted with 50% pore space and the water's moving in this way, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. And honestly, it's probably driven by the fact that if I got bored writing, it was probably boring. Um, so, I mean, do you have any particular examples that we could use to explore more? Yeah, yeah, I, I have so many examples <laughs> that I can explore. Um, but one, uh, one thing that really, um, I mean, I, I also get stimulated by science and almost from the other side, right? As a writer, I find science stimulates my my creative brain. Um, but one of the lines that you have that, that I wrote down was, you know, as the world changes, the soil records. Yeah. Even just that, I mean, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, anthropomorphism, I guess, um, to think of the soil as recording the way a writer might record. But of course, it's also very literal. Um, it does keep track, right? Um, yes. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like that whole notion um, that, you know, the human story in the soil ends about <laughs> five to 19 meters down, but the earth will continue, right? That that is in itself kind of a, a whole it's a whole visual poetic setup. I mean, it's, it's very real, but it's also, there's something so richly evocative about it. That's my example. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but you mentioned anthropomorphization. It's something I did consider as well, because I thought I was looking at different literary techniques to try and bring this medium to life. And I did wonder if how, to what extent <laughs> I could anthropomorphize soil. And, that, and that's, probably about the limit is that giving it a few human traits um I think somewhere else I mentioned that the soil just sits there um stoic you know recording all these things that are shuffling on and above it these curious creatures that you know so change the earth that they'll wipe themselves out in a few hundred years hundred thousand years <laughs> that's right and something else will come and we'll just watch that as well you know that there is this continuum yeah, I was imagining actually a soil uh, just uh, sitting there, almost arms folded, or chin on, chin on oh, hand. This will be fun. Up, <laughs> yes, yeah, right. you're going. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting choice you're making. It won't work. So that's what I was imagining. <laughs> um, probably stemming from a few years ago, I wrote a, a story called the Digsloo, which um, I was had been watching the Lorax at the time, and I thought, what if the soil had a god? And the Digsloo was an anagram of soil god, and I made this creature that um, came from the earth to the town of Hobbledy Bean, who didn't like all the dirt, and it took all the dirt away, and then there were there were consequences. So <laughs> maybe there was a bit of the Digsloo. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's a great kid's story. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to do that. I'll look out for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got it. Um, yeah, thedigsloo.com. I've put it on my oh, website. Oh, great. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to I, it in the show notes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I probably need to clean up word-wise, but um, every year on World Soil Day, December 5, I used to do a project and that was, I think, 2019. I did that for my World Soil Day um, honorary project. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I did feel when I was reading it that each of the chapters um, was really quite self-contained, you know, like they were deep, but not too deep. Um, they were layperson appropriate um, explorations of just, you know, some component of soil. Did you, did you, were you 
writing that way? Like, were, were you able to, for example, publish or did you write each piece separately as a kind of self-contained unit um, and suddenly the book was starting to form or did you actually have this kind of um, overarching picture that you were working towards when you wrote the book? Oh, yeah. So look, I'm a, if we're coming to plotter or pantser type <laughs> scenarios, yes, I am a plotter. So even for a, a nonfiction book, I, I need to go get the structure set and I need to know what I'm doing. And I plan this as the 11 or 12 discrete chapters. And um, it came because when I had the idea, I actually said, how how would you make a book about soil interesting? And I couldn't honestly think of one cohesive narrative to cover the whole book. So it's I considered it a tasting plate. Ah, a tasting plate. That's there great. is a little a little sample of of a way that soil is part of our lives. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yes, I think my editor did say, "Is there a way we can bring it all together?" But neither her or I had an idea. So this is what we have. I think it it, it still works. I mean, the overarching theme is soil is great. Yeah, I think it does too. And and do you find did you find once the book actually came together as a collection rather than a series of individual essays, which of course all do function quite well that way. Um, yeah. But once it came together, did you find that like the chapters were kind of informing each other that in some ways, um, just by proximity, uh, there was almost like new meaning coming in um, as we started to think about these things in conjunction with each other? Uh, yes. Um, I can't think of specific examples, but one of the things we did was put quite a bit of effort into the order of the chapters. Mm -hmm and the way in which different bits of information were introduced so that we could draw on them from later chapters or just refer back to them. Um, so I actually, when I first started, I wanted to start with life and end with death because mm. I thought that would be a nice way to tie that is up nice, the book. Yes. yes, but um, I, yeah, it just made more sense to have death towards the middle and, and putting things like health and um, beauty and, and, and geophagy together um grouping grouping topics as much as we possibly could like death and war go together even though they don't talk about the same thing it's, it's a natural connection so I guess that were more ordered by um a topic association <laughs> yeah. yeah which works too I, you know, and, and, yeah. and again when you get to the end you know your brain naturally and I guess each reader will put together the book in in different ways that are kind of unique to that mm. reader and their interests in the way they focus. Have you been surprised at the, you know, any any particular fan mail or reception that's really um, shocked you? Uh, not shocked, um, but every now and then I do get emails. It turns out my fans are mostly retired gentlemen, <laughs> which I think is awesome. <laughs> that's generally, um, yeah, they find my email, they email me, tell me how much they liked it, and I, I, I do love it. But Back to what I said earlier, just the the thank you for talking about death in an open way. Mm. I'm glad that I gave people a way to talk about something, and it's actually being used. Have you heard of death cafes? It's it's a, it's, bell, a, it's more yeah. of a, it's a meeting place. It's for people who want to talk about death and what and what end of life might mean and how they would like their end of life to happen okay um just get together in certain groups and can discuss it openly and one of the leaders of one of those said oh we love it it's, it's really helping um stimulate okay. discussion how interesting in death clubs yes. <laughs> and but then again i had one of the a very high profile soil science professor i tried to talk about it with him he's like no don't want to talk about it not at all <laughs> about death in particular yeah. or any oh, yeah. okay okay death, death and soil like, not interested don't want to hear about it so actually yeah, it's 
Yeah, and, and like that raises an interesting question. I mean, beyond the, the death component, which I feel like I want to go back to. <laughs> I do, you know, I do love the, the, the whole notion of transformation of death and the way we approach death and the way we think about death, which doesn't mean I'm any less terrified of dying. But, you know, um, ultimately, the, the idea, again, of being part of a cycle rather than a, 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 on a linear trajectory that ends is, you know, is so, it's so nourishing in its way, right? But, mm. but going back to the academic component, did you find, um, let me say many people from Al Gore to, you know, the economist Pierre Espin Stokes, they've all cited the way the climate emergency, for example, is a failure of communication, not a failure of science. Um, but when I think about that in conjunction with the academic world, did you find a tension between writing about um, something that is effectively an academic subject that you've studied as, you know, in an academic way and, and probably occasionally lecture in an academic way? Um, did you find any pushback on you know, the approach that you took, which is very, very uh, communication focused. You know, I thought I would. I was expecting some terse emails. <laughs> but no, I, um, one thing about the soul science community is they're generally very lovely and very friendly. All of the re researchers I spoke to were happy to talk. They all reviewed their own chapters or sections and were really happy. Um, I've had a few researchers email me and say, I love the book. It was great. I know all the people you spoke to. I feel like it was written for me. So that has been a surprise. I ex I expected some stressful interactions that just haven't come. It could be that there are people who think it's rubbish, but they're keeping that opinion to themselves. And I uh, appreciate that approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that goes back to this notion of, you know, really um, the need for people who can communicate the, you know, the sexiness, the utter joy, the beauty, you know, the the geekiness um, of, of all of these things, you know, to really communicate the excitement um, is as important as the actual research that underpins it. Oh, and yeah, that's a classic academic thing. There are so many brilliant scientists mm -hmm. who are doing amazing work, but promoting it and talking about it, it just not everybody can do it. Not everybody wants to do it. I've met many science, scientists who just go, oh, don't make me talk to them. Just leave me alone in my lab. And like, why should we force you to? You're not comfortable. You don't want to do it. Your skills are much better matched to your particular expertise. Yes, we science communicators have a role to just take the information out of your head and out of your papers and bring it out to the people. And I think from the, the people side, like science comms, let me start that again. People are naturally smart. They're naturally curious. Uh, I don't think it it's that much effort to get people engaged. Actually, the one thing I've found, generally, I don't think we give each other enough credit for our intelligence and interest. Mm. So have something interesting, let people enjoy it. Um, and yeah, maybe it will help. And go, just going back to your comment earlier about general public interest. Yes, I do think there's quite a connection between uh, I don't know, a minimum amount of people or a certain, you know, societal push for a topic and then the funding tends to follow and then, um, yeah, more research can happen in an area. So soil mi microbiology has always been research, but it just hasn't had the attention that it's starting to get now.
Yeah, well, that's so exciting. And I guess, you know, in terms of your own work, um, it means that that 10 chapters already has, you know, you've got you've got a demand for it, um, certainly from me. Uh, so, you know, you just give us a hint, like what, what, what kinds of topics are you, are we, are you thinking of um, maybe exploring in the next book? Oh, yeah, look, I think I would like to do Faith as almost a, a novella. Um, just talking about different cultures and faiths could be interesting, but and bringing the role them together, of soil in that. The role of soil, yes, yeah. huge. Soil microbiology. I've had people ask me if I could do a whole book on soil microbiology, and there's a lot to learn. Um, so probably that might be the next focus for a nonfiction book. But I am writing a fiction series based on Grounded mm. with a forensic soil scientist as the protagonist. And being that crime was my favourite chapter, but she is going to uh, solve a lot of mysteries. So we'll, we'll explore soil more um, using a topic from each of the chapters in Grounded. So I'm hoping that will be another way for people to begin engaging with soil through a, a fictional series. Oh, fantastic. Um, I love it. And and I love all the humor as well. And all the, you know, the the richness of, of the book. Um, it's just really wonderful. Um, before we finish off, and we're almost out of time, is there a researcher or a book or, um, you know, something that is really particularly inspiring you or exciting you at the moment? Oh, that's a tough one. Um I would say right now, no, but the author that really helped get my head into the game for Grounded is Mary Roach. Mary Roach. Okay. Do you know Mary Roach? She's an American science writer and her approach to interesting topics, she's done a whole book on death, she's done a book packing to Mars, she's done a book on military science, but everything except the bombs and the guns. And that is what gave me the idea for this. I actually had a post-it note stuck to my computer monitor for the five years it took me to <laughs> have the idea and get it published was WWMD, what would Mary do? How would Mary look at this topic? Because she is brilliant at finding the fun, the interesting, and just trusting her audience to enjoy, you know, her sometimes strange topics. Fantastic. That's that's great. I'll link to her in the show notes too. So yeah. anything else you want to um, mention or talk about before we wrap up? No, I mean, other than just thank you for having me on the podcast and I hope your listeners enjoy Grounded and enjoy it for what I intended, which was just a way for people to sit back and enjoy the wonderful world of soil and maybe afterwards just go outside and get your hands dirty. It's fun. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think if nothing else, um, and there's lots of lots of else, but if nothing else, um, you know, the the notion that this is really it's really important that everybody sees soil as part of their life and takes their role. Like this can't only happen um, in an academic environment. We we all have a role to play, right? In in recognizing the importance and interacting with soil in our lives. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so that's Alisa Bryce com.au and again i will link to your website in the show notes but thank you so much for joining me today that that was uh terrific and i'll i will look for a look out for the next book and i'll also uh look for your um your fictions great thank you for having me thank you